I'm Rob. I'm E. I'm Kenny. Welcome to the next movement. in Paris, it's autumn here and I'm in Supreme. My wife and I love Supreme. Grand Amour, Parisian scene. Hand in hand in double ticks, this fella had on Astronus. Puma collab with sneakerness, was in the lottery and waiting list. Grass stain, this basil green, color muted, grenadine. I wonder how he got the stain. Romantic, it began to rain. Marhishi DPM, bistro and we have a seat. Escargot and parsley butter, I scan the room for sneaker lovers. Um, Kenny, thanks so much uh, for joining us. I uh, really appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. Uh, we're excited to talk to you uh, for a bunch of reasons, most of them having to do with your art, your music. But I want to start at the top, uh, just talking a bit about this article that was recently published in Complex, which uh, I'm sure you're aware of, the article about why we should pay attention to art rap. It seemed like kind of a big deal for the, for the artists involved, and I know you, your name was dropped in the article as well. But... I understand it's uh, created a little bit of uh, conflict or controversy in regards to the term art rap. And I wanted to get your take on that, Kenny. What do you what do you think about that? Well, I'm not 100 percent sure about the controversy because I I know I retweeted it, but I didn't really like look at all to see or if there was people talking about it or having a problem with it. I didn't really check that out yet. Uh, though maybe I will now that you've mentioned it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, to be honest, even when Mike Eagle first said that term, I was never like like a huge proponent for or against it, I guess. I think it's certainly like it makes sense. It's similar to the term like art rock as well. Like yeah. it's not saying that like other rock isn't artistic. It's just like some rock is like the whole point is that it's all about being kind of crazy and breaking the rules and i think that that can apply to hip-hop so i think it makes sense of the term i don't know what's the controversy that it's a corny term or what, what's the tell um, me what, what, what's everyone else's take on that i haven't read anybody's comments or anything like that but for me when i first saw the term i was a little bit offended because you know i i think it's because hip-hop in general doesn't get its props and a lot of people don't consider it an art already. So people fight for that. Uh, and I think they have since its foundation. So to see the term art rap, it's sort of, for me, without first reading about like the concept and, and how the term was even first construed, you know, I was sort of like, okay, so what makes this art and what makes hip hop before this not art? You know, so I think I was sort of taking it literally and I think I, I would say I can't speak for anybody else, but I would say that's probably where the controversy lies. OK, I mean, yeah, I get that. I, I would to, to me, the more like the more controversial aspect of it is like like R Rory has a line in uh, I think it's, it's one of our songs uh, where he says, like, Mike called it art rap. So you wouldn't find it hostile or so people wouldn't find it hostile. And I kind of feel like that it really more had an origin in that in that especially mike I, I although mike open mike didn't like grow up in the project load scene he was like affiliated with it at that point because he had like moved out to la and hung out with all the bloating kind of people and one thing that was always weird about the project Bloat brand of like weird hip-hop if like that's a better term than art rap is that the project Bloat guys were always like 
too artsy for like people that were into like NWA and that type of stuff at the time. But they were also like kind of too hood and like a little bit too like street for people that were into super artsy stuff. And that was always like a weird thing that kind of I feel I feel one of the reasons why West Coast, like, like specifically like the Project Blood, like Los Angeles kind of scene were like innovators and a lot of people like were influenced by them, but they didn't get as much props is because they kind of were in this like weird no man's zone. And to me, when Mike Eagle was like, like back when he first was coining that term, that was at a time when like that was still like a real thing, I think, even though like things have changed since then. But uh, there's like a connotation there of it, like kind of him him trying to find a way to be like, yo, like, don't be scared just because it's hip hop. You can like this. It's still like not scary, kind of. It, it's like what, what Rory said in his line. And I feel like part of it, like the coining of it originally was really because that was a necessity, which is a bad thing that that was a necessity. But uh, I don't know, like to me, that seems to be the more like, I guess in my head, like obviously hip hop is art. Like all music is art, even pop music, even something like Britney Spears or something like that. Like it's still art, art at a certain level. Like even if it's not like cool and experimental and different, like it's just like cheesy, like painting. Like there's, there's, uh, I don't know. There's all sorts of like abstract kind of painting that's like almost like paint by numbers. You can watch like a YouTube video to see how to like pour the paint on it and stuff. It's still art, even if it's like something that could be mass produced, like whether it's like something that needs to be cherished or uplifted, that's another question, but it's all art or I don't know to me, like the whole art argument doesn't ring very true, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. I think there was also some just questions being raised about the, and E, you may have touched on this about the necessity for subgenres and creating this this separation. But I like what you just said. I, I like I like how uh, you you know tied the history into it, which I think the article does a little bit too. And the article as a whole, I mean, let me say this: my reaction, I read it, I was like, dude, that was dope. Yeah. Like that. I mean, that's my hot take on the article. Is <laughs> I thought it was really cool, and I thought it did the subject justice. Without, I mean, it's real easy for like a big publication to distill something like that into an article and make it super corny or superficial. I, I thought they did a decent job of doing it justice. So you mentioned um, Project Blow, and I know we're going to talk more later about... Yeah, a little like foreshadowing on a, yeah. the album. Yeah, uh, but I'm curious about your, your involvement with it, like knowing a little bit about your history and you moving to L.A. for, for college... It seems like you you like immediately gravitated towards that scene, and I wonder what was it that that pulled you in. It was really kind of a bunch of lucky circumstances, to be honest. When I came out in '97, so I came out after kind of the heyday of the original, like the good life had already happened well before that, and then even Project Blowed at like the like in Lemur Park, that was it. It was still going on at that moment, but it was like like the big moment had kind of slightly passed at the point when I got out there. Uh, and I was really into electronic music at the time. I was really into drum and bass. And I met these drum and bass DJs while I was at college. And I, I knew how to produce beats. So I was kind of the beat maker of their crew. And Daddy Kev, the guy who started Low End Theory, the club, before that, he had a club called Concrete Jungle way back in the day. That was actually a drum and bass club. And he, he ran a drum and bass label at the time, uh, Celestial Records. So we would DJ there. 
and all the project or not all the project load guys but a select group of project load mcs would hang out in the hip-hop room there was like two rooms there's like a drum and bass room and a hip-hop room uh so that's was really my first exposure to them i i listened to hip-hop in high school but i was i grew up in maryland so i kind of listened more to like wu-tang and like gang star and jayru the damager and stuff like that like I, I was firmly in the like dj premiere and the like the wu-tang camp as far as like my hip-hop fandom at that point so i was pretty much completely unaware of like the whole freestyle fellowship legacy or any of that stuff so that shit blew my mind because th this was like not a show they were doing like this was like the hip-hop room didn't even have a stage it was really just there's a corner dj booth kind of and then there was a bunch of couches around there and the MCs would just sit around on the couches and pass the mic around and freestyle. And we're all like smoking weed and hanging out there. And they're just blowing my mind because I had never been up close to people freestyling like that. And these are like some of the best freestylers in the world. Like it was Peace, like Abstract Rude, Bus Driver, Micah Nine that were all like regulars up there. So that was kind of how I first was exposed to those guys. And uh I forget where the rest of the question was supposed to be going. It was really just about what drew you in, like what oh, made you want to well, be a part. Yeah, right, right there. Like yeah. uh, it drew me in because I was sitting on a couch, passing, having the <laughs> mic passed like over my head between abstract root and peace. Like it's real easy to become a believer at that point. Right. Uh, and then they started coming by my crib sometimes. My roommate at the time had, like was selling weed and daddy Kev would come by and he would bring, he brought peace over. And uh, once I started working with peace, a peace heard a beat of mine when he was over kind of this one day. And once he started coming by, everyone in Project Load wanted to come by because I had a computer I could record. At that time, like recording on computers was also pretty new. Like most people were still recording on ADATs or like four tracks mm -hmm. uh, for the most part. Project Bloat seemed like a really, when I, when I read about it, it seems like a really community oriented environment. Did you feel really welcomed when you started hanging out in that setting? Mm, I mean, I was the quiet white kid from the East Coast. Like, <laughs> I definitely stuck out like a sore thumb. Like I had a pass because once peace, so peace started coming to my crib. Right. And then he got in an argument with wherever he was crashing before that. And he started just crashing on my couch. So a lot of people kind of just like knew me as like the kid that had And peace at the time was like, he has, he's had a lot of problems with like substance abuse and alcohol and stuff. And like, he would be just wiling out and we, became friends uh, through making a lot of music together. So yeah, a lot of people kind of, that was kind of the way I was accepted was I was the kid who was crazy enough to take care of peace when like no one could take care of peace at the time. And also it was like a member of Freestyle Fellowship. So when he would invite other right. MCs over to work, all of a sudden he gave like this weird air of like, I'm doing some shit. Like if I have Freestyle Fellowship over at my house, like, so it was, yeah, it was kind of crazy. I was very young. I was like 18, 19, 20 at the time that all this was happening so i didn't even really fully comprehend i was just kind of along for the ride and i was real quiet at the time so yes i guess i was accepted but i i also like like i said i was kind of like a background person i i wasn't uh in fact even like the songs we we're doing at the time i think like i recorded a lot of people's stuff but the songs they were doing on my beats were almost like practice songs kind of or that's how i viewed them at the time although some a lot of them did come out uh back to your original point about community Project Bullet was definitely like a tight knit community. One thing about it, though, that I think really defines it is it's very competitive. Like everyone mm -hmm. is like friends and like frenemies at the same time, even like members of fellowship, like and like 
everyone was like and that's part of why everyone was so good and i've seen mm -hmm. that same dynamic in other groups that i've been in like even Te team supreme was a little less of that but team supreme also had like a kind of competitive nature to it and i think that that's like often key to like everyone having a lot of growth is like being able to like have friendship and respect but also like want to like one up each other a lot if that makes sense yeah to totally makes sense i mean i think that's what you know you talk about community and talk about sort of a support system i think that's part of it like you know forcing each other to be your very best there, Definitely. That, that's the competition ele element yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you've watched any, like, of the documentaries on Project Load and stuff, but please pass the mic. That was, like, a real thing. Like, yeah, like people were not, like, encouraged, like, when you were doing, if you were an MC and, like, it was going to be your first time, like, rapping there, like, people were not encouraging. People held you to a very high standard, and if you didn't meet it, they, like, told you immediately, like, yo, get off the stage. Mm -hmm. Like, so, so yeah. I guess, I feel like in current times, the word of community has a different, connotation sometimes than right. it did back sure. then sure i want to go back and you mentioned team supreme and i wanted to go back to that to talk to you about how you became involved with that community and in, in that particular project so that was another one that was just like really amazing circumstances uh i was friends with dj nobody through low-end theory and dj nobody was actually in team supreme in the in the very beginning uh and i think i was on facebook at work i, I worked at a music studio at the time during the daytime uh and i saw nobody post like team supreme volume one on facebook or something i listened to it. i was like yo these beats are tight I, and i think i wrote to him because so i worked at a studio doing music for like tv at the time and my job was almost kind of like team supreme because they'd give you like a prompt of something we had to like make a song for for a tv show or, or for a movie or whatever mm -hmm. and then a bunch of people would do it do the same thing and kind of compete for who would win so i think i wrote elvin like an email that was like yo let me be a part of this and i think he forwarded along to dane and uh preston who were like the guys who really started it yeah and uh and yeah they they let me start on i think number three and i did a pretty dope beat and then they just started keeping me in the email loop and then i think uh maybe like a few months after i'd already been doing beats is when the first time I went to one of the shows that so they they already had thrown like one show I think at that point and they threw mm -hmm. another show and that's when I met everyone face to face and uh it just all kind of blossomed from there we became friends and uh, I mean to this day like uh many of the people from Team Supreme are like some of my closest like musical homies and you all did this mixtape series correct yeah okay okay and you had curators how, how yeah, did that so we work would, so we would have someone the curator and I put that in quotes was the person who would choose the prompt for that week and the Got prompt it. could be anywhere it would normally be a sample and a beats per minute though mm -hmm. sometimes especially in the early days it would be more complicated like like I once had one where I my prompt was I gave everyone like the sample the basic sounds of like an 808 drum kit but mm -hmm. you could only use those sounds. So even like your synthesizer had to like use like some waves out of the 808 drum or something like that and loop it super tight. And so, or other times, I mean, like Daedalus once had a really crazy prompt where you had to like choose like a number and a letter and then it helps you choose what sound from your hard drive. I don't know, mm -hmm. like crazy yeah. stuff. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that was like the, so the curator would give a prompt and then we would send it out to the people Originally, it was just kind of invite only. It was like the homies. 
uh, it was like the actual official members, that, which kind of grew in the beginning. I think the official members was like 10 or 12 and eventually grew to like 18 or 19. And then we would invite other people later on. I, we did it every week. And after about maybe like 60 or 70 of them, I think is when we started doing ones where, where occasionally we would open it up to the public. Those became so much work, though, is crazy because... We would only we wouldn't put everyone's beats on. We'd only put maybe like fifteen or to twenty beats on to the tape each time. And sometimes when we open it up for the public, we'd get like hundred fifty submissions or something. So Ooh. whoever was putting it was normally this guy Preston, one of the guys from Penthouse Penthouse. He would put the tapes together, and he would literally spend like a whole day or two just mm-hmm. listening to like hundred fifty beats and narrowing it down to like fifteen. It was it was crazy. That's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. And DJ I'm... Shadow was one of the curators, right? Yep. That was yeah. actually really fun. We uh we had him out to a show as well. We had him because uh, at that point we were throwing shows that had gotten a little bit bigger. Like we started off at like this dive bar throwing shows and then it moved into the Echoplex at that point. And he headlined one of them for us. And that was actually such a cool moment for me personally, because I'm a little older. Like when I grew up, like DJ Shadow was one of my inspirations and not like the current incarnation of him. Like when he was doing like introducing and stuff that that mm-hmm. like taught me that instrumental hip hop was even a genre, I would say. Mm-hmm. So getting to like kick it with him and finding out what a like nice down to earth guy he was, was like, yeah, that was like a really cool moment. Scrap yard ghosts levitate a slap box under wolf moons. Above streets where Siri noted the coordinates and was too scared to speak. Come through, host the grief, burning candles in the teeth. Summoned by the killer who remembered the names of each. Southside cop killer queens, circled the vehicle and squeeze. Dusty feet beat the streets with the breeze to their back. Some things you just can't leave in the past. They follow you home like skinny dogs separated from the pack. Toss another bone in the valley, they gnash. Toss another bone in the valley, they gnash. Dead cars stuffed with garbage, line lost blocks, laughing at alternate side parking. Copper wire by the yard, scrapped by the pound. Capoeira with the words, I just spin them round and round and round. That blood spattered Pellerino center the town, a bloody gown. Drug mud through the big house, massive gone frown. Right before we throw them in the ground, throw it in neutral, my cousins will push me out. Kenny, so many of the um, MCs that you work with just write these really like dense, intricate lyrics. And I was listening to um, a project you did this year with Serengeti, um, Ajay, and was really trying to focus on the music because of preparing for this interview, but kept getting distracted by the lyrics and just like was struck by how complicated it might be or, or how difficult it might be to strike a balance in like creating a soundscape that doesn't distract from such dense lyricism. And I wondered if you could, could talk a bit about how you do that. I mean, I think that that's kind of emerged as one of the things that I'm good at, I guess, is like complimenting a lot. Like, well, first of all, as far as the MCs, it's definitely not by accident. Like I work with people that I find inspiring and also like interesting. Like I'm, I, I don't know. I like working with people that are original. That That's like one of the things that I definitely like seek out when I'm thinking about who I want to work with. And as far as like, definitely like one of my approaches to like, I have a minimalist kind of sound, I guess. I, I don't really, the funny thing is like, these are some things that I've like read. It's not like really, I sit down and I think like, let me make a minimal beat. Like that's not like my, my creative process there, but 
one thing I found very early on, I guess working with the Project Blow guys, all of them, a lot of them were like rap very fast and also have a lot of like really vivid imagery as well. And so working early on with like Peace and Abstract Brood and those guys and Bus Driver, I got used to like, I, well, I would hear what, where I thought they sounded good and they would normally sound good when the beats gave them space. And that doesn't necessarily mean it needs to like be slow or like not have a lot of elements, though it can mean that sometimes, but just beats that gave them space to like do their thing. And so when it was my, when I get to do a beat like for them, I, I would try and emulate that or like that's one of the things I would think about. And I feel like it just kind of come, became natural, like part of my process is that I, I hear that. I think one thing that makes it stand, I don't even know if that would have stood out that much back in the day. One thing I think in current times that makes it stand out is that like now they're like being a producer when I was first learning to make beats and stuff, that wasn't like you were never going to be the artist. Like even if you were a really well-known producer like DJ Premier or something, DJ Premier doesn't put out albums. He doesn't. He didn't tour. Like, like the like until Flying Lotus kind of came along, that like flipped the whole script of like that the producer is in the forefront. And having been coming up in the pre-Flying Lotus era, like I looked at more of the producer's role is like to complement the artist that you're working with. And I feel like a lot of younger generation people that are in the post-Flying Lotus era they don't really come from that angle originally. Like, like they, like beats are busier now. Like people have a lot more like bells and whistles and like little things they add in because of the idea that it's going to be just an instrumental first. And then like lyrics, lyricists come second kind of. And I think that that's maybe part of why it stands out so much is that in a sea of people that kind of have that more of that type of approach, uh, having that old school approach of thinking like that my job is really to just like make the rapper sound dope and to compliment them like that that just kind of sticks out more now even though like to me it's not like some it's just kind of the way things were that were it's just how I saw them like very early on when I was coming up making music you are heavily influenced by Trent Reznor right and and his ability to sort of create these sounds that didn't distract completely from lyrics yeah, I said that in the interview, didn't I? Uh, yeah, like definitely when I was in high school and stuff, like early things that I was listening to when I was first experimenting with computer music and stuff were, yeah, Trent Reznor and a lot of that type of weird industrial techno, but also even like early rave music. I was into like techno and drum and bass and all that. But yeah, specifically the Trent Reznor thing is he he just had this knack at like making things both hectic and spacious at the same time kind of and it took me a long long time to even figure that out like i love that early on in my music not even music career just early on in my like musical journey in life it was a long time coming for me to unlock the secrets of how to like achieve that kind of and i mean even now i'm still figuring that out sometimes but uh but yeah to me that that is a good example of like how leaving space for the vocalist doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be like a boring beat or something right. like that. Yep. Yeah. I do think that's what makes your stuff like stand out is it's not like, it was interesting to hear you say it was sort of minimalist. Cause I don't know that I would have thought about it that way. Cause it, it's not like completely stripped down. You're, you're filling the field, you know, there's, right. I don't really think of it that way either. I'm more going off of a few things I guess I've read over 
time yeah. by people. It's it's weird when you get to the stage where like for for a majority of my music making career, there was not really people for for the most part writing an article about an album or reviewing it or stuff. It's very strange like later on in the process to like have people come in on it because there's a lot of things that like I don't think of it that way. Like and I can't argue like I can't say that that view of something isn't valid because right. it is valid. Uh, but that's not how I always think of it necessarily. But yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the, the Ajay album with Serengeti? It's such an, a unique, I mean, you used that term uh, earlier in talking about people you work with, but such a unique concept. Oh, it's super unique. I mean, to be honest, the, that's that the magic sauce of that is really Getty. Like he's, he's the man like that came with the concept. I, he had originally asked me the funny thing is it all comes full circle i don't know if you've heard the new album he just put out the gentle falls that came out maybe like so he just put out a new album and it's like a folk album and it's all like just acoustic guitar one acoustic guitar track and him saying poems over top of it basically Hmm. and one of the songs on there is called duggan and it's the story about like a former wwe wrestler jim duggan like a real guy and he owns like a dive bar now and his life it's about like the ups and downs of his life it's some typical getty stuff so ajay started with him telling me that he wanted me to send him a beat for that song okay that now is like an acoustic folk song (laughs) so i had sent him a bunch of beat ideas like hey maybe these would work and he kind of didn't he didn't reply back for a few days. I sent him maybe like five beats. And then he like wrote me an email. That I was like, yeah, none of these are the one. Maybe send me a couple that are faster. So I sent him like two or three more that are faster. And then like four or five days later, he sent me a rough draft of the entire Ajay album. Wow. And I was just like, yo, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> or the first half of the Ajay album, not the Kenny Dennis part. So, and he had like just kind of mashed all the beats together. It sounded kind of the original demo he sent me was like one 15 minute long MP3. And he had just taken all the beats in an iPod, it sounded like, and he was just skipping tracks. So sometimes the beat would play for like 10 seconds and it'd go to the next beat. And he, he used each beat like maybe like four times over the course of this 15 minutes, like of the eight beats, like to show you how quickly the beats were skipping. And he just kind of, uh, the funny thing is like about half of the songs on there were in that original 15 minute thing, like that freestyle, like mm. not not exactly the same, but like, it, a lot of it was in there. So after he sent me that, I was like, yo, this shit is bonkers, but it's really interesting. Let's figure out how to break this into an actual thing. Uh, so then we kind of broke out of that freestyle, a couple songs that made sense. And then he started once he's like such a prolific writer. Once, once he kind of had the, the whole idea, it was like super quick and all those for the most part there's maybe only like two or three beats on there that i made purposely for that album like most of it were beats that i already had sitting around so it just came together in a matter of weeks i would just send him i would basically like spelunk around on my hard drive trying to find more beats that i thought were the right thing for it send him a bunch of a new batch and then he'd send me like three new songs like and then the yeah the kenny dennis side just came together super quick too uh once he had that whole concept uh, to tie them together and yeah it was a really fun album to make uh but yeah i can't say like i didn't sit around like yo let's make an sh- album about shoes or like i had nothing to do with that that was all that was all getty but i think that's also one of my strengths is like 
I'm not always great at coming up with the original concept, but if someone gives me a concept that's like, this is what we're doing, I'm really good at like coming up with all the extra ideas and like building the world around the concept and like making it like immersive, if that kind of makes sense. Like I'm good at all the details, but I'm not really good at always like, it, it's helpful for me to work with someone that sees the big picture. Renaissance Festival Guard, Natty Dread Elder Barge, might pull your elder's card. Nigga rap like Frylock Sun, floating over a rug of Hydrox crumbs. I might be on one, icy hot numb, may eyes lock thumbs. This my wedding shotgun, drums like stampeding oxen. I guess you lost them. V210 Dotson, Flossin, Howard Austin, with the asparagus fern. Time couldn't justify the arrogance earned. War holes and old lies at the speed lead nose dies. The fallacy of both sides, ghost ride the subconsciousness. Extra medium and I'm off the shits Confrontation with its awkwardness Under the parlor palm Harder calm as ever Need a harder beverage Like I need a hemorrhage And corroded artery Not hardly Older the car battery With an open chest Recharging Not starving Artist Me not starving Not starving Artist Me not starving One of your other big projects This year was the Rap Ferrara album Purple Moonlight Pages And I wonder if you if you could share a little bit about how it might be different working as a part of a, a group like the Jefferson Park Boys or even the, the Ruby Yacht uh, album versus working uh, solo, just just doing the work yourself. Yeah, I mean, the yeah, the Rap Ferreira album was almost the polar opposite in the way it was made and that it was made over the course of a whole year. A lot of thought went into it. It was not just, yeah, it was like a guy was like fly by the seat of our pants and Purple Moonlight Pages was like kind of like the, yeah, the masterpiece that we all like worked really hard on. Uh, for the Jefferson, like as far as the part of your question, like the Jefferson Park Boys, like uh, about maybe half of the songs on the album were ones where we like really like were all sitting together and like started the beat together and like made the beat. Uh, and then there's a whole bunch of songs where like I might start a beat and then I bring it to the guys and like that I'll have like Mike play some parts and then Aaron comes over and plays some parts. And then by the time it's all done, it has all three of us together. Mm -hmm. And then there's a few random songs on there that there's like one song that's just like a beat that Aaron did uh, with a piano player. And then there's like one that Mike Parvizi and our friend Jason Wool and Saruta made, but they made it in my studio using all of my equipment uh so there's like a, some kind of like random ones too like like in fact that's an album that's it's really worth checking out like the individual credits because it kind of tells you like we, we tried to be real specific with the credits like showing like who did what on the different songs uh but yeah the process i mean i like both to be honest even my albums that don't necessarily advertise like how it was like a group project like jefferson park boys there's still like a group aspect to it because part of my sound is that I work with people like Mike Parvizi, my homie Ryan Crosby, who plays like guitar and bass also. And like Aaron, uh, my homie Aaron Shaw, who plays like sax and flute. Like, like if you look at the credits on my projects, you'll see the same names over and over again. Cause these are like my, my, my people that like, uh, like my homie Peter plays cello on things. Sometimes like almost every album has some group aspect to it. Uh, and that's definitely part of my process is I like working on like the basic idea and then having other people add some elements to it and then going back and refining the idea once like I see the things that they added onto it. And are you 
typically all in the same room, like working at the same time? I mean, not lately, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That yeah, was going to be my follow up I, question. I prefer to be in the same room. Uh, I used to prefer that for the raps also, though lately I haven't done an album where I was in the room while people were writing. Like none of the artists that I've worked with recently are the type that want to write like in the studio normally. Uh, like the Project Load guys when I was coming up, all those dudes would like literally come to the house and it'd be kind of annoying after a while because I'd have the beat playing in the studio for like eight hours straight while everyone's like writing and working on it or whatever. But anyway, uh, but yeah, when it comes to recording instruments and stuff, I much prefer everyone being in the room because a lot of times I have ideas, but it's so much easier to just communicate when we're all sitting there. Like my home, like Mike might be playing a bass idea and he might play like five or six different ideas all in a row. And I can be like, yo, that's the one stop, stop. Like, or he might be playing something that's like almost what I hear in my head. And I can just kind of sing to him like the little hmm. part that's different or like I do a lot of that when I record with different people playing instruments. Yeah. So yeah, when I have to send stuff to people, like it, it all turns out fine in the end, but it's definitely preferable to me. Like, like the idea gets down exactly the way I hear it when we're all sitting in the room together. How challenging has it been during the pandemic? I mean, it sounds like that would drastically alter your approach. Yeah. Like, uh, well, I'll tell you one thing is I've been working on us on solo instrumental albums. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I'm about to drop Ken Strumentals Volume 4, which is, it's basically like a lot of the beats from Ajay and from uh, the Hemlock Ernst album back at the house mm -hmm. with a couple new beats. Uh, but a lot of them are like alternate versions where like I kind of fleshed out the beat more, or like added other, like sometimes a beat like has a lot more elements, but once we start doing a rap song, I'm like, oh shit, like all these other parts don't really go with the song at all, but like the basic beat does. So on the instrumental I put on the out on Ken instrumentals, I'll add those other elements back in. And then I got another instrumental album that'll probably be for next year. That's like a follow up to Happy Little Trees. Dope. And that one does have some live playing. Uh, but that one I've been just sending to people and having people send me back parts. And that's it's gone pretty good so far. Uh, in fact, sometimes it's a fun challenge because they'll send back stuff that's like not at all what I was expecting, but like then I figure out what to do with that uh, <laughs> instead. And yeah, Ajay, that was made kind of during, that was made in the very beginning of the whole lockdown. But that one, like I said, was more just like a lot of arranging. Like like Mike Parvizi is on maybe like six or seven of those songs, but all of those were ones that we had recorded like a long time beforehand. Right. None of them were right at that moment. Uh, but yeah, I will admit that I'm getting to a point where I would, I wish that I was uh, hanging out with the homies more. Uh, we're still, me and my wife are still being pretty good about like, I mean, I'll, I'll like hang out with Mike and Aaron in the yard, like for dinner and stuff sometimes, but I really haven't been having people come in the house. How often were you performing before COVID took over? Performing live uh, shows? I'm, I mean, traditionally, I've never thought of myself as much of a live performer, though in the last like three or four years, I've I've been performing more. I try to... I mean, some, especially like a lot of the rappers I work with, they like stay on the road. I try and do like one inspiring tour a year. To me, like, first of all, like back in the day, I used to do a fair amount of touring when I, when I like work with Abstract Rude and live with him. Like, uh, so I'm like, I've it, over the years, I've kind of like had like ebbs and flows in the amount of touring I would do. Uh, but in more modern times, I like really love touring with Rory, for instance, because just his crowd is i feel like the perfect crowd for me to like do weird shit on stage 
like back in the day when I would tour with Av, like I would mainly just DJ for him and then I would do an opening set, but it'd be like a DJ set. And my job at that show wasn't to like do what I wanted to do. It was to like make the crowd happy and like DJ hip hop that was going to start people dancing. So they'd be out on the floor by the time the main acts take the stage. You know what I mean? Like there's like a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And like touring with Rory, like I'm just supposed to get out there and do whatever the fuck I want to do and like get crazy and weird. Uh, And I've tried to like get weirder and weirder on each tour with the equipment I bring and the stuff I do. And that's super fun to me, mm-hmm. but it's also like really draining. Like, I don't know, like some people like just live on the road. My homie, Mr. Carmack, like he's another one who like, he just goes from one international flight to the next doing all these tours back to back for me. Like it like energizes me creatively, but it also drains my spirit a lot. Like when I like tour. So yeah, like one modest tour a year is like perfect and then some like random dates like i was supposed to be on a tour this summer actually with woods like we had a tour booked on the west coast from like seattle all the way back down to like la Mm -hmm. uh they got canceled for i think it was like july the beginning of august it was supposed to be yeah i don't know i i do enjoy shows but they're also stressful i guess like some people are like natural performers like i wouldn't say i'm like a natural performer but yeah, like I said, if I'm in a setting where I can just like get up on stage and pretend I'm in, in my studio and just act silly with all my fun music equipment, like that's pretty fun to me. So what's stressful about it? Is it is it actually performing in front of people or is it just doing show after show and, and just being physically exhausted? A little bit of both. I mean, if anxiety made any sense, then would anyone have any exi- anxiety <laughs> right. in the first place? Yeah. <laughs> Like that shit doesn't make no sense. So like, I don't know, like you tell me, like to me, there's, it's a confluence of all of those. Like, it's not like we're, we're ballers. Like we're going on struggle tours. Like when we're touring, we're staying in motel sixes, not like nice places. Uh, So definitely that, and we're in shitty little cramped cars. So like definitely that does take a physical toll on you after a while, especially when you're on like, like doing like 20 dates or more or something like that. Uh, but also, yeah, like there's definitely like touring is weird because the beginning of touring anxiety about performing is a big thing to me. And then like somewhere like four or five shows in that ceases to exist whatsoever. Like that no longer becomes a problem. Right. And you get into tour zone and then more of the anxiety comes from having to deal with long car rides. My back hurts. I want to poop in a place that's not disgusting. Like, I want to eat something that's not bad for me or gross or something, or, you know, you just get into, yeah. then it's like a mental thing that it's not really about the performance at all. To be honest, the performance, if anything, is the best part. Like once yeah. the tour gets rolling, like that's the only good part of your day is for the most part is like performing. And then the rest is just like getting through uncomfortableness, <laughs> physical <laughs> uncomfortableness normally. Cause I love touring with like the Ruby dudes are my brothers. Like I love those guys. And like, we often have a lot of fun on tour, but it's still like, like I said, like staying in Motel 6s and driving in little cramped cars with stuff on your lap. Like, ultimately, that's not that much fun. <laughs> Can't imagine it is. Doesn't sound very glamorous. It's not glamorous, though. I don't want to act like I'm complaining. Like, I love the fact that we get to like the fact that people show up to our shows and that we can actually make money at it. Like, as opposed to losing money, which, which believe me, all of us have toured losing money as well. Like back in the day, yeah, uh, that shit is makes us very blessed. So I don't want to act like I'm complaining, but yeah, that's why it's, that's why it's stressful though. Like, uh, and that's why, yeah, to me, like I do, 
I, I'm more of a homebody. I'd rather be at home making the music than out there playing it. Backwoods uh, Studios is, is getting ready to put out a fielded record. And it seems like you're involved with that in some way. I know I saw something in your IG stories. Oh, that was, I, they had asked me to do a remix of a song. Okay. That was just, uh, I was being oblique on Instagram stories with a, a little, I was just typed on the, the remix that I'd done because I, I made it yesterday and it was sounding pretty tight. I don't know what the plan is for the remix. I mean, the album hasn't even come out yet. So right. thanks for clearing that up. No worries. The <laughs> album's dope. I, I heard most of the album and, uh, my, I'll say this: my remake sounds nothing like the the original. The original kind of has a happy vibe, and my remix is kind of dark sounding. But I've, they haven't even heard it yet, so hopefully they like it. Check it out. And the sun took the day off, and the moon stood still. The only light was in sight, with the one just passed that onion field. If you look from where I'm standing, you see that old scarecrow. They say if you look too long, you might jump off that wooden bowl. But between you and me, I think that's just a bunch of, hey, you know. Some even believe he responsible for the death of old man dead. They found without his thinking cap with straw in his hand. And the strangest thing about it is that they never found his head. They never found his head. They never found his head. God damn it. They never found old man dead. And they'll never find Cause I took it. it didn't go like that at all. I just hated that his eye was crooked And I wanted his eyeball And things got out of hand And old man Dan had to die because of that eye I can tell you, them scarecrow stories are lies But I did hear when the moon was full And the sun's about to rise You can walk by and think about that head That the crack of dawn will cry And the sun took a day off And the moon stood still Around my part of town The moon got a frown Cause he can see it all from the And the top. sun took a day off And the moon stood still Around my part of town The sun became Well, I feel like maybe we should have, uh started with this at the top and I didn't yeah I didn't discuss this with you so I'm getting ready to out us but the truth is when you chose beneath the surface I had never heard of this comp before so I got to listen to it for the first time and actually one of the things that I know both E and I enjoy about doing this show is you never really know when we have guests you never really know what album they're going to pick and there have been a few times where someone picks something that we're not familiar with and I personally enjoy that it, like stretches me so, um, yeah, we're, we were kind of in, in the dark when it comes to this album um, and had to had to make our way through it. And uh, we didn't really prepare you for this, Kenny, but we're sort of going to be leaning on you to like shed some light on it for us and and talk about, I guess, more from a personal. What I'm really curious about is like what it has meant to you and, and what made you choose this album. Totally. Uh, well, just to put it in context a little bit into or just general context, I feel like back in the day, hip-hop comp like compilation albums in general were more of a thing like i don't feel like that's like as big of a thing these days like compilation albums but that was like kind of a big thing in hip-hop where like producer compilation albums where like a producer would have a whole bunch of different rappers on different songs uh i did one called ken can cook back in the day but anyway so beneath the surface was one of those it was this this producer omid and he was one of the main producers from the early project load days like Cut Chemist, Omid, mm. and uh, uh, Rid, like uh, Ridlor, were like the main, like, well, the CBE guys in general were like the main kind of producing camps, I think, at that time. Well, and Fat Jack, of course, also were like the main producing camps. And so this was Omid's like compilation where it was like his time to shine. And at least for me, like, like I said earlier, like I came in the Project Bloat a little bit late 
to the game. Like I wasn't there like when the first Project Bloat album came out, like with the light bulb on it and all of that. Uh, so I hit LA in 97. That's when I moved out there. And that was right around the time that this album came out. I, I forget when this album came out, but I'm guessing it was like 98, maybe 99. And right around that time, I started meeting the Project Bloat guys at Concrete Jungle. And like I was saying earlier, I had no like reference for who these guys were i could tell that they were amazing rappers but i didn't know that they were famous i didn't know freestyle fellowship had been signed to island records before i didn't know anything about the good life cafe or any of that shit so daddy kev i think his his label besides putting out drum and bass they put out like a tape version of beneath the surface i think beneath the surface was already out on vinyl but it maybe like sold out on whatever indie label had put it out and then he put out a tape of it so I had the tape of that in my car and this is me like freshman in college or maybe sophomore in college. So that was like my cheat sheet. I would meet these guys at, at concrete jungle and see them like rapping. And then I would like, li- like look up which track they were on, on beneath the surface. And that would be like my main frame of reference of like what their style was all about or how I would even know who's, who was who when I'd be at concrete jungle was like, that was like, to me like it was like the wikipedia or some shit of like project Blood, and i'm sure a lot of other project Blood people probably wouldn't view it they might not view that album like that because but for me at least at that time in my life that was like yeah that to me that was and and it was also something that was very aspirational because i there was a time in my life where i was like if i could just put out a compilation as dope as this one i would be like super stoked like that was like the main goal was like man like i know all these guys if i can do my version like that'd be tight which ken can cook is kind of my version of it it's not nearly as dope as beneath the surface to be honest but uh yeah and and i'm i'm curious to see what your guys reaction is because like having never heard some of these songs are super weird like i must say (laughs) uh and in the context of where what it wasn't called art rap back then but where art rap is now a lot of them you i don't know if you can hear like many direct influences of like Mm -hmm. rory things that rory does and his vocals uh things that mike even does and his vocals like come from albums like this like this is like definitely some of the dna of like what those guys do yeah you can definitely hear that i mean i know i've i've read some quote from rory talking about if you don't fuck with free freestyle fellowship then you really have no business uh, <laughs> like that, yeah that was actually my favorite part of the complex article is he was like if you don't fuck with freestyle fellowship you're you're really actually a buster <laughs> like, I <thought laughs> yeah like, yeah i could just hear it i could hear his voice like saying those lines i was like dang yeah so you can definitely hear yeah the the influence i would say i mean i don't know if serengeti would agree with that but i feel like there's a connection there too well yeah and he's getty is from that era like he started putting out music in the early 2000s like he he somehow is like one of those guys that's remained like almost like ageless in hip-hop he's just been doing dope shit for a really really long time at this point or maybe maybe a little later than 2002 like he might have been more like 2005 like when he first started putting out music but he's definitely from like that that era more than more so than like mike or rory Hmm. are i'd Mm -hmm. say yeah, so you can definitely hear the influence on them. The production is really what like stood out to me. Like it doesn't play like a like you might imagine a comp album would, where which I think often sounds like just like a a mishmash of tracks just sort of glued together for this like showcase. 
whereas this is like really cohesive. So I was really struck by the production on it. Yeah. I mean, Omid is uh, one of the crown jewels of LA production. Like he, he stopped, I mean, he still actually does make music, but uh, he, he got a day job at a certain point and stopped focusing on it as much. Uh, but yeah, he, he's super dope. He also produced, there's a freestyle fellowship album called Shaka Doom that he produced, which includes this song, Can You Find the Level of Difficulty in This, which is the one that we kind of pay homage to in one of the songs on Purple Moonlight Pages as like kind of a shout out to that song. Mm. Uh, uh, but anyway, Omid produced that also. And that's like one of my favorite this is probably a controversial opinion because it's most people would not consider it the best freestyle fellowship album because like inner city griots or, or even uh, the one before that uh, would be most people's choices. But Shaka Doom has some ill songs. Like if they had, had that was at like a turbulent time in everyone's lives when that was made. But if, if everyone had been like more together, like in all their, like when in like their regular lives mom moment, like Shaka Doom would have been probably their best album in my opinion. Or I, I, I loved a lot of the songs, but yeah, Omid is a great producer. And yeah, I think that's also like, I really like to have project when I do projects to have them have a cohesiveness and definitely like, these were some of my original reference points, like albums like Beneath the Surface that like showed me like how I wanted to do like having a cohesive album. And yeah, the, and the beats are awesome. Like, and, and they also, another thing that Omid did really well on this album. And, and the funny thing is I'm friends with Omid. I'm friends with pretty much everyone involved in this album. Yet I really actually, I was thinking about this before the podcast. I have very little knowledge of how it was made. I've never like asked Omid, like, how did you do this beat? But from the sound of it to me, it does a technique that I do a lot of there. It's like the beats are all like the backbone of them are samples, like the melodic parts, yeah. but then there's live playing over top of it mm. that kind of meshes in with it. And it makes it so that it's really hard to tell what the sample is versus what the live playing is. And it kind of like, and where one starts and the other begins. Uh, and that's definitely something that I, I, I never thought of it like when I started doing that, that that was what I was like emulating. But like when I went back and listened to it recently, I was like, oh, shit, this is like very reminiscent of like one of the main things that I like to do, which is kind of combining the two. That's something else that stuck out to me, too. Uh, I think one of my favorite cuts from from the album would be the uh, the hymnal song. Um, yeah, her slowly, slowly, slow, slowly, slowly. Yeah, something yeah. like that. A lot this of slowlies. The strings on that track are just fantastic. And that, that's definitely a song where I was like, is this a sample or is somebody actually playing this? My thoughts are clear. My thoughts are clear. Reminiscing my Watching thoughts the past. Clear. Reminiscing my Watching thoughts the past. are clear. Past. Reconciling the opposites Now colliding divergent forces Pulling my entities to ways like indecision An incendiary split burns like embers In my coal fire tended with the exclusion of the angels In my limited vehicle I'm trying to fix my muffler and rope to constellations I determine the sound inside to see If a hundred thousand miles reaches my earthly toe to the water I see her the pure peace symbolic element but animas evading everlasting is colliding and waiting for my energetic key to unlock timelessness my temporal universe is collapsing in its linear veneer i believe it is absurd to think that the word could ever capture the pure elements 
But I diluted earthly tests to gather measurements for my defense, the fence of my parameters, permanence, ideal life shatters to the unlimited. The next is the two components. I'm pretty sure that it's a combination of both. And that is one of the ones I was referring to. Like, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure there's like a violin player playing, but then there's also like a sample that's like the piano and maybe even has some strings in it as well. Mm. It's funny because that's, I know Rory, like that's like a song that he loves too. Uh, and we've actually tried, I've tried a few times when I've run into hymnal, like out and about to like connect him and Rory like on a song together and it, it hasn't happened yet but hopefully one of these days that's going to happen yeah looking forward to that do you have a sense of of how how many people access beneath the surface outside of the regional area i don't know in la that album is infamous people like right. everyone knew that shit in la it's, it's certainly in the underground but i feel like that that album had a, like a fairly big impact probably the whole west coast even i don't know if that to be honest when i when i chose it i just assumed everyone i was i was being dumb because of course like when i think about it i don't even know if people on the east coast ever heard of that album certainly not people that are younger on the east coast like uh but i don't even know if people my age would have known it yeah i i don't really have a good sense of it because back then i was i was like in my early 20s i didn't really think about those types of things you know what i right. mean like mm -hmm. i was i was just living it in i was very much in the moment of just dope music I, i've been very blessed in la like since i've been here there's just been one cool music scene after another that's been kind of blossoming. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I don't know. But now that, like, when I really think think about it, quite possibly not. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it was definitely like that was something that everyone in the LA underground knew that album very well. Yeah. So I'm I've... curious, have you guys ever heard of Cater to the DJ? No. No. That's the album by Fat Jack. That's like okay. another producer album that came out around a similar time that had all the Project Load people. That was also huge in LA, but obviously okay. not outside of outside of that. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I, I, I mean, I'd never heard of this album before you mentioned it. And so I was just curious if you, I mean, Rob and I had discussed that and we thought it was probably like LA was pretty heavily influenced by this. But outside of there, like, did people know about it? Did people access it? Yeah, I just always kind of assumed it at the time, but when I really think about it, I don't really know. Uh, and may maybe not so much, but it definitely, I know for me that this, this was very influential because uh, it also like opened up a lot of, like at that point, I hadn't really internalized the idea that rap could be so much more than, like I, like I said, my main like reference to rap was Gangstar and like j Ru and Wu-Tang stuff. And also, I mean, I, actually, if I'm being real honest, like back in like elementary, middle school, like I did listen to like Fresh Prince, like I had like the whatever the he's the DJ, I'm the rapper tape mm -hmm. way back in the day. Uh, but yeah, my my main reference point for rap was storytelling stuff and like kind of like crime, like gangster kind of stuff. And when I started meeting the Blowed guys, I'd heard the freestyles. But when I started listening to like beneath the surface it just like really like farmer's market like who the fuck came up with the <laughs> idea for the farmer's market of the beast where someone raps like a billy goat yeah like that shit is insanity but it's dope if you listen and like that's part of what's tight about these dudes is they take rap so seriously and that's why i was saying about like how like when you were asking about community i was like well it's like a very competitive community these dudes take it so seriously so even if they're doing some weird ass concept if you listen closely to the lyrics and the patterns and shit they're doing, it's like flawless and like really like thought 
full. Like, like that was another big thing because a lot of them rap fast. And at Project Load, like, like when Project Load was in its heyday, DOS effects and all that had happened in yeah. like mainstream rap with all the like wiggity wiggity stuff. If you ever did any iggities, you were kicked out of Project Load like forever. <laughs> like, because to them, rapping fast, if you weren't saying real words, if you were just like saying nonsense words, that was mm-hmm. like even worse than like rapping slow. Like, they'd rather you rap slowly and say real words than say nonsense. Yeah. Like, saying nonsense was like you get kicked out immediately. Uh, so they were really big on like lyrics having meaning because because for a long time I I think like and this probably is true for many people with with hip hop like I came into hip hop listening more to the beats like the the vocals I like listened to them but I didn't like think about them very much in the beginning right mm-hmm. and this is when I started like peeking under the hood more and like seeing what these guys were doing I was like what the fuck is under the hood like in this crazy clown car like <laughs> and there, there's a lot of so and and i think that that they do a really good job on this album there's like songs that are like weird as shit but also like totally like like some dope hard hitting hip-hop joints on there too mm-hmm. uh a, a, actually a good example of like kind of straddling the line is when is obviously the most so the most famous song off this album is probably when the sun took a day off and the moon stood still mm-hmm. which is the ac alone and self jupiter song and that song is weird as shit, but it's hard. That beat is super fucking hard. I've yeah. seen that that go off at shows where people are going ape shit at a show for that song. But it's like a weird story about a witch and like like I don't know like that like like they just that it really opened my eyes as a young like musician that was getting it that was starting to get into like making more and more hip hop beats at the time of like holy shit there's like so much unexplored territory there's so much and i think that's partly why people like rory are so drawn to that legacy is like this idea that it's there's so much unexplored territory yeah it's just like wide open for for a talented person to like go do something that's never been done before e what were your thoughts on um it's nothing like i've ever heard it almost reminded me a little bit of company flow just because you know, hearing LP talk about his early production years, he really tried to use like non-traditional sounds when he was making beats and stuff. So it reminded me of that. But yeah, I mean, it definitely has originality points. Um, you know, I think it's an, an important album because of the time. So it came out in 99, I think, you know, when hip hop was really commercial, you know, Kenny, you're talking about like Project Bloat and, you know, how the the community took hip hop seriously. Like, I think this is an example of that, you know, keeping it, keeping it original keeping it, you know, grounded to the elements of the culture. Um, so I think it, I imagine it served an important purpose back then for that reason too. Thinking about that, I went back and watched the episode of um, hip hop evolution. Since we just had Darby Wheeler on the show, I went back uh, to prepare for this and watch the episode where they, they cover project Bloat and, yeah, I definitely think it, just from that, I got the impression that this is definitely a space for people who like couldn't fit in to the gangster rap scene that was, you know, taking over the West Coast in L.A. at the time. So it definitely seems important from that regard. It gave gave space, gave voice to people who who didn't have it otherwise. Oh, for sure. But one of the things that's I think an important part of the Project Load legacy is that like a lot of the the people in Blood like did grow up in the hood like some many of them actually were involved in gangs and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh and 
that was like a weird element that made their shit different than other because there was other like abstract hip-hop stuff happening at the time in fact it's funny that you compared to company flow because i would say that on the east coast the biggest the closest analog to what was happening in la at the time was def jux like everything that was happening with the early company yeah. flow stuff but there was also like anticon there was other little things bubbling up at the time that were like weird hip-hop stuff but what made Project Blood kind of stick out like a sore thumb and not fit in, because Anticon, if you look, was pretty successful back then. Uh, or I, at least I remember, like, you go to an airport and they would have, like, Waxy Maxi, like, the <laughs> CD store and shit. Yeah. They would have, like, the new, like, Y album there. They would have, like, Anticon releases there. They didn't have Project Bloat releases there. Hmm. And the reason is they were just hood enough to be scary to nerdy people but way too nerdy for like people that were into gangster stuff to like it. They had, they were in like in this no man's land of like, and I think that that's part of the magic of a lot of thing of especially like, like, cause there's dudes that like spit so hard and, and, and it's per- like uh, beneath the surface is a perfect like example of that, of stuff where it's like super artsy and beautiful, but then a dude that's like sounds almost scary, like spitting super hard, aggressive bars over top of it. Like, and that's like what Project Blood was all about. It was like aggressive and in your face, but also like all about being like super weird and artsy and like tapping into creativity in ways that people that are aggressive normally aren't doing kind of. sense of how much of uh, how many of the tracks on project load were freestyle versus written oh on, on, uh, on beneath the surface on sorry. Beneath the yeah. surface i can't really comment on that i mean some things that to me the only things that i could really comment on that for is like like pieces song uh the you are in my clutches uh i forget what the actual it, it might be called you are in my clutches uh, whichever is the song that has peace uh that's the name of the song that is the song okay yeah, yeah you are in my clutches so like peace, I know this because I worked so much with peace, like around that era, peace would normally like write like a few lines and then freestyle most of it. He would kind of do the Jay-Z style of freestyle. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen like video footage or ta- or like seen stuff written about like Jay-Z apparently doesn't really write any of his songs for the most part, but he also doesn't freestyle the whole verse in like one big ass thing. He just goes in the booth, freestyles a couple lines and stops and punches in and freestyles a couple more peace would do a slightly more impressive version of that, at least when I would record with him. Like he would kind of like, 
he'd often have like the chorus or some like line written that's like the prompt of the song and he would like start off with that and then just go for a while and then be like yo 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 punch me in right there and then i'd punch him in like and then he'd go for a while longer and like songs would just get built up like that often Mm -hmm. like right out of his mind yeah uh he's he's one of the most amazing people i've ever seen like the way he would record songs yeah crazy but when i listen to the to you are in my clutches i hear i can just hear that that techniques like that were most likely used for parts of it but i think i don't think a lot of it was freestyle the the reason i'd say that is just because i also think when this album happened one of the things that's magical about it because a lot of times when you have compilation albums you get a bunch of like mediocre performances out of great people because no one's like that emotionally or creatively invested in the project or it's all a bunch of favors and whatever that are happening i believe people it sounds to me like people took this one very seriously and i think it was because it was at a time when people were starting to get signed out of project load and like a lot of like careers were starting to pop off for certain people and I think everyone looked at this as an important moment that they were going to get to shine amongst their peers and like get chosen from the crowd. Maybe if they were the, I mean, and again, I wasn't there when they recorded this. So this is pure speculation, but I, I, I to me, when I listen to it, I'm like, dang, like, like Phoenix killed it on that one. Like, damn, LA cool came like the heart, like everyone you can tell, like came super hard on their shit and was like trying like really, really hard. So, yeah, I, or I guess what I'm saying is that I would I would think that people wrote a lot of it because it sounds to me like everyone put a lot of like care into yeah. it. It wasn't like, yeah, I'm glad that you chose it because it opened me up to some new stuff. I Almost immediately, you know, listening to this coupled with Rory's quote about freestyle fellowship that sort of attacked me for not being a fan or not really digging into their stuff. It immediately made me regret not listening to more of their music. So I imagine I'll go back and, and do that. Well, like I said, I would suggest like one one good album that's a little off the beaten track would be Shaka Doom, which is the one that was produced by the same producer. It's like a slightly it's kind of from a middle era because it's not one of the original like they had like two albums from the like original era that have a very like old school kind of sound to them production wise. And then they have a couple albums in a more like new school era. Yeah. And Shaka Doom was like in between the old school and the new school eras. Like the the old school ones were done in the early to mid nineties, and then like the newer ones were done in like the two like around two thousand ten kind of era. Uh, so and Shaka Doom was done at like like ninety nine or two thousand or something like that. So okay, right. right in the middle. Sounds like a good starting point. Well, I'm gonna just say real quick for anyone who's casually listening to this, if you're gonna go listen to the album and you're like, I don't, I don't know if I'm gonna listen to the whole thing. Go listen to when the sun took a day off and the moon stood still. Go listen to the hymnal one. Her slowly, slowly, solely. I think I said that wrong. And listen to uh, Farmer's Market of the Beast. Because I feel like all three of those, if you're into weird rap music, you're going to dig those songs. Dang, all of them are good, though. I'm trying to think, like, I was about to say, like, those are my three favorite. But then, like, the AWOL one one is so good. Uh, uh, What is it? Something about the, like staring face to face with the something dang it's called a little piece of heaven it's like a little piece of heaven i love all of their voices that's another thing about this album that i really love is just everyone has such a unique style Mm -hmm. in fact that's i'm sorry i'm going back to the album for one more second one more way that that i think it ties in to a lot of things with my life 
is uh, when I joined Team Supreme, one of the things that I thought was so cool about Team Supreme, as opposed to other kind of crews happening at the time with electronic music, was in Team Supreme, everyone had this unique style. It's like you could tell there's a thread that tied us together, but everyone had such a distinct thing. And part of what's so dope at Project Blow, Project Blood in general and this album is that each MC, like you can tell they all come from a similar lineage, but they each has such a distinct voice, like from the actual timbre of their voice to also like the cadences and the style and the way they approach writing rhymes. And to me, that's like, that's so dope. Like when people are a crew and it's not all the same shit, like, like that to me is always kind of a little boring. Like when it's like a crew, but we all do the exact same thing. Right. I love being, I love being part of something where everyone's doing different shit. Cause that gets me like way more inspired and like jazzed up to, to do stuff. Face to through the nose, spit them in the toilet, cause I suppose they spend their whole life laughing, <laughs> lying at the same time, uh, I wrote the book of life, over and over, I tell them what my pops told me, I'll tell you when you're old enough, because the facts of life, most definitely cold enough, they don't know shit about me, rubbing two pennies together, to make a dime, standing in an unemployment line, Shit in one hand and wishing the other they better run because the life is leather than tough well kenny before we let you go i'm wondering about where you are and the wildfire flat wildfires going on in on the west coast and and how, so how are you doing in in the middle of la uh on one hand there's no like immediate fire i don't it like if fire ever got to where my house is at like it would be like literally like the whole city is must be on fire at that point because i'm like in the middle of the city mm-hmm. uh but shit is super weird it, it doesn't look as weird as san francisco i've seen the pictures in the bay area where it like literally looks like mars but it has been like a yellow red glow in the sky for the last like three days today i barely wanted to go outside because it smells it smells like a campfire outside right mm. now and you can see ash on everything like mm. Like not like a huge layer, but you can see that ash is falling. Uh, I saw some LA Times thing that said they called the air quality very hazardous today, <laughs> as opposed to, like it had been poor for a while and then dangerous, and now it's like very hazardous. It's like like above dangerous apparently. <laughs> All I know is that the the little e- the little emoji kind of thing they had for it was a guy in a gas mask. So oh my goodness. So yeah, I was trying to stay indoors. Uh, my dog is bouncing off the walls and in, in here because I haven't walked there yet today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, as far as things go, I guess I'm I'm lucky in that my house is not burning down. I haven't had to evacuate or anything like that. And knock on wood, I haven't even lost power. But yeah, shit is. If this year couldn't get any stranger, it's like having the sun look red for four days in a row is certainly. Certainly making it stranger. Yeah. I have family in um, San Diego, and my aunt was sending us all videos and pictures of fires, and it was just fucking insane. Yeah, one thing that I I have a few friends in the Bay that were telling me, apparently it's hard to even take pictures of it with your phone because there's so much color correction software in our phones. Hmm. 
that like the phone doesn't want the sky to be like as orange as it is. It's constantly oh, wow. trying to like even the phone knows this is not right. Yeah. Right. The phone's like, this doesn't look right. Like there must be something messing up the picture right, right now. Mm, it's crazy. Incredible. Well, glad to hear that you're safe and certainly hope that uh it stays that way. Kenny, we're really grateful for your time. Uh thanks for uh sitting down with us and sharing uh so much especially beneath the surface and what it's meant to you we're, we're grateful for that cool i just want to give a shout out to omid who produced that album dope homie of mine very good producer and yeah all the project blood dudes on there any information for people who want to keep up with you or anything you want to tell us about i mean you mentioned a couple upcoming projects what do you want what do you want people to know all right i got a couple things happening ken instrumentals volume four is going to drop we haven't actually announced it but we're going to announce it next week or so uh but it's going to drop october 16th i believe on dome of doom and there's going to be tapes and a special sticker for it in fact two special stickers for it i'm pretty excited about the artwork and what else is happening i got an album called indoors that's kind of the follow-up to happy little trees and that's going to be i don't know when but probably beginning of next year i'm guessing it's like almost done right now but I'm still kind of putting the pieces of the puzzle together a little bit. And besides that, I got a couple new rap projects that are in the very beginning inkling stages, but I don't want to talk about them quite yet because I don't want to jinx them while they haven't. Once once things are like along and rolling, I can talk about it, but uh, yeah. they're both just barely started. But oh, one other thing on the Ruby Yacht front, there's going to be an upcoming album, Pink Naval. I think his album drops like next week. That's just going to be dope. I've already heard it. Album is dope. And Rory has a new uh, Rat Ferreira album that's going to come out sometime soon, I think. That's all produced by him. Oh, wow. That's dope as fuck. Yeah. Called Bob's Son. Okay. And how? what's the best way to folks for folks to follow you, keep up with you? I guess on social media, even though I don't really like social media. <laughs> but yeah, Twitter it's slash it's all slash kenny siegel slash twitter.com instagram.com facebook i think it's kenny siegel music but yeah it's all it's all on there if, if you care that much you can find it or you can just be surprised when shit happens kenny thank you again for for joining us it's been a pleasure keep an eye out for those new projects and wish you continued safety oh thank you very much yeah.